the Highlander Podcast, a production of the Civic Journalism and Media Making course at the Frederick Gunn School. Our podcast invites guests and Gunn community members to discuss active citizenship and how they've developed strength and character to be a force for good in the world. We welcome you to explore more about the Frederick Gunn School at www.gogun.org. We hope you enjoy the episode. In this episode, Trailer May interviews MLB baseball pitcher Justin Dunn on his career and life as a professional baseball player. Dunn reflects on his time at the Frederick Gunn School, previously known as the Gunnery, and how his coaches, teachers and friends shaped him as a person and a teammate. Alright, so first I just want to uh, talk about like how was your time at Gunn and like kind of how you got there, coming from like New York. Uh, so, so how I got there, um, I'll take you through the full story. So I went to a uh, public middle school and I was on the football team my eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. And one of the requirements was we had to go to the high school varsity home game or a uh, homecoming game. Okay. So we go to the homecoming game early to like watch varsity practice or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my dad showed up after and basically what happened was he saw what i believed was a gang unit of some sort yeah and he was like yeah this ain't happening you ain't going here um so that was the final straw he was already looking at sending me to like catholic schools or private schools in the area Mm -hmm. um for baseball because he felt that i would have potentially gotten abused is like even one of one of coach trundy's words um abused of like overpitched, overused and my career trajectory might not have looked the same so we had a family friend who went to salisbury actually yeah and he told us about this um group called the boys and girls club it, they had an academic all-stars team mm-hmm. and they they don't do it anymore i don't think so um but basically they they had a group of kids and your gpa had to be above a certain number to be on the team Mm-hmm. And they would drive you around to all these prep schools. So we're going through the process, and like I'm just looking at it as it's like a baseball team I'm playing for, you yeah. know. And we're going to see all these schools. And I'm like, this is cool, but I don't know why I'm here. I'm not going to any of these schools. And then, coach, I'll never forget we were at Loomis Chafee. It was cold, and um, they were doing a showcase. And uh, basically, the showcase was wrapping up, and I had done everything: hit, take infield. And they were like, um, okay, is there anyone left to pitch? And I had raised my hand earlier to pitch, but they kind of just skipped me. Yeah. And like, Truns basically stopped the showcase and was like, I want to see him pitch. And like, had me get up on the mound and I threw my eight pitchers or whatever. And bro, I was like, you got to ask him. I'll let him tell you how tall I was. Yeah, but he always talks bad. about it. He's like, you were like five, two. Yeah, barely, man. At that point in time. I'll say this: My grandmother was four foot eleven, and at that point in time, I was not taller than her. Um, and I was that way until I got there as a freshman, um, probably till the end of my freshman year. But back to the story: So he came and talked to my dad, and we toured, and it was between the Gunnery and Salisbury. And going through the process, obviously, you play baseball; you know what the Cape Cod Baseball League is. Yeah, and just started talking to my dad and talking to coach and just started to realize like if I actually get to the level I think about getting to, wouldn't it make sense to go play for the guy who 
literally talks to the colleges I want to play for every single summer. Yeah, knows everyone. And has a relation. Yeah, knows everyone, right? Um, and I have a story about that late too later on down the road, but and I'm sure it'll come up um, via questions. But we, so we were like, all right, we're going to go tour the gunnery. We went and toured, and I, I absolutely fell in love with the campus. Super small. I mean, you you go there, so how could you – like, you know what I'm talking about. How could you yeah. not fall in love with it? I love the idea of being able to know every single person on campus yeah. from my grade to seniors and, and being able to interact and uh, the community, the formal dinners, all that stuff. Um, I really loved. And uh, Coach Trundy just made the decision super easy. Yeah. And um, I'm super thankful for him. Yeah, so kind of like going off on that, like how did like Trundy like impact your life? Like, uh, so, again, like I said, the story would come up. So, first spring training, oh, we'll start. We'll go. We'll go back. Uh, uh, my first two weeks at the gunnery, I hated it. I was ready yeah. to leave. I called my parents and I said, "Come get me." And I'll never forget. Trundy came and got me the next night after that phone call, and was like, "Look, don't leave." If you want, you can come stay with me in my apartment. And uh, he was like, just stay with me for a couple weeks. We'll get you acclimated. You'll start to make some friends. and You'll be good. I was like, that's kind of weird. I ain't, No offense. Love you, coach. But no, nah, I'm not going to stay with you. You know what I mean? I'd rather just try to grind this one out. So I passed on that. And then the next thing you know, uh, the Charles brothers, they were two twins. These guys are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, play football, yeah. basketball. They come walking into my dorm. And they're like, where's Justin Dunn? And I'm just looking at him like, I've been here two days. There's no way I made somebody mad enough to come and try to beat me up on the second day. And I was like, it's me. And they were like, uh, Coach Trundy sent us to come talk to you. And they told me their story and just about how they went through the same thing. And, and they persevered. Um, and then he had Xavier Parkman come and talk to me. And X became like my big brother at the school. Um, and I just slowly started to make friends, like he said, and I started to love it. So fast forward to the story I was going to tell was my freshman year, we're going down to spring ball in Florida every year. Yeah. Um, and so I'm teacher's pet. I'm like, I'm getting in the car with Trons. So I get in the car with Trons. I'm sitting shotgun. And dude, we're driving from Palm Beach up to St. Lucie. I, I know the drive well, all too well now from my time with the Mets, um, but it's about a 45-minute drive. Yeah. We're not seven minutes into the drive on 95, and the first name that pops up on the screen is Tim Corbin. And I just turn my head, and I'm like, no way you're about to talk to Tim. So he gets on the phone. He's on the phone with Corbs for about 10 minutes talking about players. Hangs up the phone. Phone call from Texas. Same thing. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. This guy literally knows everyone. And so we started talking. He's like, yeah, they're trying to pitch me their players. They want to come to me this summer and all this stuff. And so fast forward to, to my junior year when I'm starting to get recruited and um, I'm wanting to go to some of those programs. I won't name which ones um, solely because of some of the, the information he gave me. Yeah. Um, but one of the things he told me was, Justin, sometimes it can be a meat a meatpacking industry. Basically, what that means is they pack you up and they ship you out, yeah. and it's on to the next. And uh, he was like, "I don't want that for you. That's not where you want to be. I want you to go somewhere where you're going to be coached and be mm -hmm. developed and have a chance to learn." Um, so he pointed me in the direction of BC. He called my college coach, 
and they off the strength of his word offered and one camp i went to one camp mm-hmm. and, and they offered me a scholarship and i committed right there him and my dad basically made that happen and then Few a few months later, the draft time came around, and he basically told me, "Don't go." Um, yeah. When I was had my heart set on going, um, he didn't pitch me really until my senior year, and ironically, it was against Salisbury. They had a guy named Riley McKecker in there, um, and he was a big draft prospect in our class. Mm-hmm. And and I've never had this conversation with him, but one day I'm going to. I think he started me on that day knowing kind of what was going to happen. Yeah. But because I pitched against Riley that day, there were 30 scouts there to see him. Mm-hmm. And the Dodgers ended up see- – they came to see him and left seeing me. Mm-hmm. And that's who ended up drafting me my junior year, my senior year in high school. And then uh, my junior year, and I'm mad at him. So next time you see him, tell you, bring this up about how I had to pitch against him on the Cape because he was too stubborn to offer me a contract – because he didn't want anybody to say that I got there because of him, which I love him for. Yeah. But broke my heart that I had to get a save against him. And he was very upset watching that save happen. So uh, he's always had my best interest at heart. And, mm-hmm. and he's like a he's like a father figure to me, man. I, I could talk about that guy for hours. Yeah. So kind of other than like Trundy at the gunnery, like what what like other people made like an impact? Like you said, um, X was kind of your big brother there. Yeah. Um, there's a couple people, man. So, so faculty will go with, and I don't think either of them are there anymore. Um, Mr. Small. I love Mr. Small. Mr. Small. Mr. Martin. Mm-hmm. My advisor. Um, Mr. Martin is the best. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Small. Yeah. She retired my freshman year. Yeah. Okay. So that's who it was. I didn't know if Mr. Small left yet or Mr. Martin. I, I wasn't sure. I knew... One of them three were retiring. Yeah, Mr. And, Small and Mrs. Small are gone, and then Mr. Martin. Yeah. And then – so those are my three faculty. And then we'll go with my my day student, my, my freshman year day student, Ian Riley, mm. Tristan Kishonis, um, Dakota Ford, who is one of my all-time best friends that I've ever had. Um, coming out of there, Thomas Maluli and PJ Higgins, probably. Uh, yeah. Um, we, I was just close with all those people, but Mr. Small, actually, if you ever see him, basically cut me from the cross country team and taught me a very, a very valuable lesson at the time because I was a freshman. I didn't want to run at all. Yeah. And, uh, he was like, if you don't want to run, then you don't want to play baseball. And at the time, I didn't get it. But I realized what he was trying to get me to understand of if I really wanted to be good at my sport, understanding that that conditioning was going to make me better in the long run. Yeah, that's um, right. Like, I had him freshman year math, and in the fall, like, I would go home and be like, Mom, like I hate this guy. Like oh. I can't deal with him. And then by the spring, I realized like just everything that he was doing was for the better of me. Yeah. And by the time he retired, he was one of my like best role models. Oh man, he was the best. Like he was the stickler for the dress code. You yeah. can never get past him with dress code. Until my senior year when I like stopped caring. I used to just walk into his office and be like, Give me a point, Mr. Small. Like, I'm done. I'm leaving. But like I it taught me to pay attention to the rules. Rules are rules. They're meant yeah. to be followed. And then Mr. Martin, 
um, his attention to detail as an infield coach for, or first as a teacher, his attention to detail. I'll never forget the day I had him as my English teacher. And I forget, I think we were writing about the Odyssey. Yeah. And, Fresh and my, yeah, my heading was off. And he basically took my paper and ripped it and said, go write another one. All because my heading was off. Yeah. And same thing. Like he was like, if you can't pay attention to details here, you'll never pay attention to details in your life and anything. And then fast forward to the baseball field of the bucket drill, man. I used to hate the bucket drill until my senior year, but it was the simplest drill in the world. Right, left field, right, jab, step, right, jab, step up, catch the ball, right, left field, right, left throw. And I could never get it. I used to want to be flashy. And like, I grew up playing with a lot of like Dominican guys. So I used to try to be flashy. Yeah. And he'd be like, nope. That's not it. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. But I learned that the fundamentals are what put you in the best positions to succeed. Yeah. And the attention to delay, the details of cuts and relays. And it just helped the things that they taught me with attention to details helped me so much when I got to college and pro ball and trying these three models of respect the game, respect your teammates and get better every day. Like those are the truest words I've ever heard, man. Like, and I, I try to hold them into my life to this day. Yeah, he still enforces that. Starting oh, every day. Year. Every day. He's a, you know, he's a big storyteller before every practice. It's a story. <laughs> so another funny story about Trani. My parents used to get so mad post-game because they were like, what is he talking to you about? He just talk to, forever. He'll talk forever. He writes in his little notepad about everything he saw in the game that he didn't like, everything he did like, and then he tells a story, and then he friggin' gets on another friggin' rant, and he just keeps going. He'll always use friggin'. Every every word is friggin'. Yeah, no. Yeah. I remember we were playing Wilbraham, and it was like it was a playoff game, but it was like Adley Rutschman's debut day. Yeah. Like before the game, he just he just starts telling us like a twenty minute story about how like how he deserved it because like how he like carried himself. So he really does look into that stuff and Oh, he loves it, man. Yeah. And it's so true. It's, it's so true. Being at the highest level of the game, it's so true. Yeah, he doesn't fake anything. No. And then Trundy did tell us, you know, a lot of stories about you and everyone else. And one thing he did say is that you struggled, like, as a student. Because, like, last yeah. like, my first sophomore year, I don't know how yeah. I was eligible to play. Like, I was struggling bad. So he kind of used you as an example of, like, how you were over to, uh, able to overcome that. But, like, how – like. Can you talk about that? Um, it helped taking his class <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, no, I loved I just, him and I and I knew I knew I couldn't uh, BS him, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me was like the time management, dude, and like we would have a lot of conversations about using my time, and he used to always give me flack because he was my academic counselor also, and I don't know if you guys still do it, but academic merit dictates yeah, whether go. you're in dorm study or not in dorm study, right? Yeah. And every semester I would text him before it came out cuz obviously you know they get it early. Yeah. And I'd be like, "Am I in dorm or not?" And he would tell me and then eventually he'd sit me down and be like, "If you would just take the effort that you put in to raise your hand a couple times in class so you don't have to get on non-dorm study, you'd be a straight A student." Yeah. But you put your effort into the complete wrong things 
not the wrong things, but you put your effort into what you want to do. So do what you have to do to do what you want to do, which ironically was another thing that my dad used to tell me as a kid. So he was always really hard on me about um, getting better and, again, just attention to detail. And I think at that time, after my first years, when I had Mr. Martin as a teacher, and mm-hmm. um, I understand how to use uh, going to your teacher's office hours in their apartments and stuff like that to my own benefit yeah. and and really just learn how to utilize my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, obviously, like, how was that, like, college recruitment? Like, at D.C., obviously, like, a great academic school. Like, Yeah. Um, it 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 happened it really fast. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, me and Trundy. So my freshman year, I think I talked to Trundy more than I did to him in the four years that I was at the Gunnery. Yeah. Um, because it was another culture shock. Because at the Gunnery, you had the freedom, but you don't have as much freedom as you have in college, obviously. Yeah. And man, I got to college and no dress code. What? I don't have to. No mandatory breakfast. What? I'm not going to class. My 9 a.m., forget that. And I just, I, I was not good at all. Mm-hmm. And again, I had myself having the same conversations with my college coach um, about attention to detail and being a better student. And and couple that with having baseball being another job, right? Like, and I wasn't playing and I was, I was ready to leave. Trundy had to talk me out of leaving mm-hmm. again. Um, and so it, thankfully the gunnery, put me through that i'm sorry i'm gonna refer to it as the gunnery because that's just where i went to school um but it put those situations that i went through there calloused me and gave me the strength to know that i could make it through bc2 yeah um it wasn't going to be easy but i just fell back on everything that i did at the gunnery to help me succeed there as well yeah and then um you got drafted so you went Mm -hmm. through all three years i saw that during your junior year you started off as a closer Yep. Went to be a starter, then got drafted as a starter by the Mets. Yep. Like, how was that process? Um, like, were you unsure? Because obviously you're still going to college, so you got to worry about your school and um, your college season. Like, how was bouncing that with the draft? My fo- my first job my junior year became baseball. I'll yeah. say that. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, everything I did was predicated off of that. I'll say Were you kind of banking on getting drafted. So, oh, uh, I wasn't coming back. Yeah. 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 I knew once, once I got, became a starter. So, once I became a starter and the first round conversation started to happen, I, I pretty much made up in my mind that I wasn't coming back. I mean, my coach basically told me he was pulling my scholarship mm-hmm. um, as long as everything went according to plan. Um, in hindsight, I, I wish I didn't do this stuff that I did. Um, because when I go back to get my degree, I have a lot of hard work to do. I took a lot of electives. I just took a lot of easy classes yeah. just to make, just so I could focus on pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my main goal. Um, but my focus, ironically, was on going to Omaha. We had net, we had the tightest team chemistry we had ever had at that point in my three years there. Um, we had a really good team. We had a really good pitching staff between me and I don't know if you know the name Michael King with the Yankees. Oh yeah, uh, that was my roommate. Um, Sal Freelick or not Sal Freelick was not on my team. Uh, Jake Alou was on my team. He's with the Nationals. Donovan Casey was up with the Nationals. Um, Chris Shaw was on our team the year before. Uh, we had a couple other guys get drafted. We had like eight guys that year get drafted. Yeah. So and uh, 
So we were like, look, if we're going to do it, this is the time. And we, mm-hmm. we spent all summer, all fall, all winter just dedicated to we're going to Omaha. That's it. Mm-hmm. So going through it, that was my main thought of if I get to Omaha, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. So that was kind of how I managed the whole pressures of everything else. Yeah. And then obviously you got drafted by the Mets, but then you ended up in Seattle. How was that like whole trade prop? <laughs> centerpiece of the Robson Cano Edwin Diaz trade. So yeah, how was that? It was uh, it was interesting, man. But but I'm uh I'm thankful for it. I wouldn't be where I am today in my career without it. Um, there was a lot that went into it. I won't bore you with. Um, but the biggest emotion would be uh, shell like just shocked, just yeah. overall shocked, and it was tough because Pete Alonso is like one of my best friends. Um, Jeff McNeil is another very, very close friend of mine and David Peterson and Tomas Nito was my catcher at the time. Um, and I was finally starting to see myself playing at home, mm-hmm. you know, as for a childhood team yeah, that York. I used to watch. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, I, I didn't understand the business of it, but once mm-hmm. I wrapped my head around the business, it was like, okay, I understand. Yeah. Um, um, and now you're in Cincinnati. So like, yeah. What which has been your favorite play so far? Oh man, um, it's a good question, man. Uh, they each have they're each th- great in their own way. Um, New York was great because they gave me an opportunity, right? Um, and I came through that system. They treated me very well. Yeah. Um, Seattle was great because I had a really good core group of guys that I made it up to the big leagues with, and I did the big leagues with them. Like I'll never be able to get another first big league experience. So Seattle yeah. always will hold a special place in my heart. Um, so I'll never be able to get that first big league experience back. Right. Like yeah. Seattle special for that. And then Cincinnati, they had such a great group of guys and the culture and the manager there and the pitching coach and, just everything like they're, they're a family. So that organization is special because of that. And they've always treated me not, with nothing but respect and like my best interest going through this um, surgery that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Uh, or my injuries and the surgery that I had, and they've always done right by me. So they'll always have a special place in my heart. So to, to say which one is the best is tough. Um, but I had fun in all three places. Yeah. And then kind of the last question I have is you have a Nike deal. Yes. So, like, how did that kind of happen? Like, <laughs> because that's uh, kind of a little kid's dream to get a deal with, you know, Nike or Adidas or something like that. So that was um, my – right after the draft, I signed a rookie deal out of the draft. Um, my agents at the time worked that out. I signed a five-year deal. And um, when you get to the big leagues, the deal gets a little better. Yeah. And – you start to meet some more people, get some pretty cool stuff from it. Yeah, I know, like, um, from, like, Joe, he tells me about, like, all, like, kind of, like, the perks of, like, being an MLB player. Like, mm-hmm. like you get, like, just all the travel, clothes, experiences. Yep. I know, like, what's your favorite part of that? Like, um, Ooh. because, like, obviously, you know, it doesn't come easy. You had to work all these mm-hmm. years. But, like, kind of, like, what's the biggest perk of being, like, an MLB player. First would just be sharing the moments with my family, my friends, my girlfriend, my brother. 
that's first and foremost. Um, but I think just the experiences with the guys, man, like first, obviously you're living, I'm living out my childhood dream. Like I, I, my life couldn't be any better. This is what I set out to do in my life. And I did it. Mm -hmm. I'm still not done. You know, there's still a lot of time left, but I achieved my childhood dream. Not many people can say that they've done that. Um, but I would say clubhouse is fun. Um, the plane rides, like I'll tell you a story. So, um, my first, my first plane trip, we get usually in the minor leagues. I don't know if Joe's told you, um, you take buses everywhere. Yeah. So I'm so used to taking a bus. So we get on the plane and on the bus, you stop at McDonald's or Subway or Wendy's, just kind of crappy food. Yeah. And we sit down on the plane and the the Miss um, Jackie, I don't even call her like a stewardess or a flight attendant. Miss Jackie, at the time, um, she was one of our flight attendants for the Mariners, and she's the best. Um, comes over to me and was like, "Hey," um, and hands us the menu. And I'm looking down at the menu, and it's filet mignon, like uh, salmon. There's a wine list. There's uh, like all the sodas you could think of. Every candy in the world you could think of is on the plane. And I'm looking over at my buddy, Art Warren, and I'm like, is this real life, dude? Are we about to have filet mignon on an airplane, dog? Mm-hmm. He's like, I guess so. And um, So that was a really cool moment for me. Uh, going to like some really cool restaurants. Um, you know, we went to this one in Chicago that's a three-star Michelin restaurant called mm-hmm. Alinea that um, – was like a bucket list item for me and Pete Alonzo to do together. Um, but we didn't get a chance to do that together. And I ended up going with Hunter green and it was uh, an amazing time. Yeah. Um, so just doing cool stuff like that. And just the experiences, like you don't get to, to live this life and, um, for very long and being around some of your idols, man. Like I walked in the locker room and the locker next to me was Felix Hernandez. Yeah. So like, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. I also like, uh, kid from my town you know evan scribner Mm-mm. he was with um seattle for like a couple of years okay but, like his dad was like a prominent guy in town so like and you know how small washington is yep so like just hearing those stories kind of like a young age just like crazy like just yep. like the legends you're around kind of exactly man it's pretty cool playing catch i was rehabbing in 2021 playing catch with ichiro and like yeah. Ichiro Suzuki knows who I am. Like childhood me is screaming inside. Oh, yeah. You know, guys, you watch on TV now. Exactly. You're, now you're like best friends with them. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, visit www.gogun.org or find us at our Instagram at FrederickGun1850.